Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Monday, January the 30th in the morning in Toronto and I think in the evening in Dubai where my continuing guest, Virginia Latora Jeeker, is situated. Virginia is a U.S. tax lawyer based in Dubai and many of you will be very familiar with Virginia's blog. And for whatever reason, she has, I think, a particular interest and expertise on all things having to do with Mr. Fbar. And we continue our discussion from last week. Good morning, Virginia. How are you today? Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well here in Dubai. It's a little chilly by my standards, but I'm managing. Okay. Well, whether you're in Toronto, whether you're in Dubai, London, anywhere in the world, Mr. Fbar is basically everywhere, isn't he? Oh, he certainly is, and he's getting stronger by the minute. Well, last week we talked about what I, I think I can safely say was our, our disappointment that the U.S. Supreme Court decided not to uh, take on the uh, the Toth case and consider whether these penalties are excessive fines or not, and Speaking of things that strike me as really excessive fines, um, you know, we have the Molyneux case, which I think we've alluded to a little bit before, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Maybe you can begin by just refreshing everybody's memory of what that would happen in that case or what is happening. Okay. So I think just to bring people up to speed, when the U.S. Supreme Court denied to review the Toth case, essentially what they let stand was the First Circuit Court decision saying that the excessive fines clause of the Constitution does not apply to civil FBAR penalties. So letting that case stand means, to my mind, the IRS will certainly be feeling empowered to use the full force of whatever FBAR penalties they can get um, because now they, they are feeling like, well, who knows? We have one circuit telling us that the excessive fines clause doesn't apply, so let's, let's take it to the max. Now, one case that kind of illustrates the trend of how things are going with the IRS and its view of the FBAR penalty is the case United States versus Molyneux. That's a French name. Uh, if people want to Google it, it's M-O-L-Y-N-E-U-X, and I do hope we are saying it correctly. So in that case, very recent, it was um, the complaint was just filed uh, last month by the IRS, by the government. And they're bringing the, the case to sue this woman, Miss Pilar Molyneux, for willful FBAR penalties with regard to two foreign accounts over which she only had a signature authority. So she was not an owner of the accounts and didn't have a financial interest in the accounts. She was just having signature authority over these accounts. They were not large accounts and they are suing her for the willful FBAR penalty um, because the accounts were small, half the value of the account was less than the other statutory permissible penalty, which is 150 hundred thousand US dollars per year per account. So they are suing her for two hundred thousand dollars a year, 
for two years, that's $400,000 of penalty amounts. And the maximum aggregate value of the accounts never exceeded, both accounts never exceeded uh, $65,000. So we are talking small accounts here. So, so Virginia, if we were to put this in people talk for a second, so anybody could get, get the gravity of this, basically they're imposing penalties that are greater than the account balances. In other words, they're seizing more than the amount of the accounts, right? Absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm not a numbers person, but it sounds to me like a $400,000 penalty is six times higher than the maximum aggregate of these two accounts. Is that right? Well, whether it's six or whether it's five or whether it's four, it's massively over the account balance and it's clearly Absolutely. a confiscation. I mean, most civil forfeitures, they just take the asset, right? <laughs> but it's almost as though FBAR civil forfeiture on steroids where they're taking more than the asset. That's right. Much more than the asset. Yeah, much, much more. more you know, five, six, four, whatever times. I mean, you know, this is this is really, really amazing stuff. Now, just to unravel a little bit some things you're saying, which are, are very, very important. First of all, let's reconfirm that although civil that when we're dealing with civil penalties, we have willful and non-willful, and this was willful. That's right. Correct. Okay, so this is willful. What does the statute say on that? On the on the will now the willful opens the door to the a penalty per account agreed as opposed to per form. Well, yes, I would say so. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Uh, which, which makes this which makes this case a little bit different. I think I think from the bit case. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what do you have in front of you? What what does the statute say on the on the penalty on the way the penalties are levied for the uh, willful F bar? So it's the greater of what a hundred thousand or fifty percent of the account. Is that what it is? Yes. All right. So that that's where they go from twenty nine thousand to a hundred thousand. Okay. So this is it's almost shocking in its depravity. You know, I, I would say right. You know, particularly, I mean, it's one thing to talk about the numbers that are bad enough, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, again, the fact that this so massively exceeds the balances in the account uh, is absolutely shocking. Now, when I read the uh, the complaint on this thing, and, and this was, uh, I guess it was last month, it was around December the 20th, I think, um, I recall seeing in the complaint that... Uh, the IRS or Justice Department, whoever's prosecuting this, uh, had sent her a note inviting her to sign off on willfulness or something. Do you, do you recall that? Yes, yes. Um, and I believe she did. I, that, that's exactly she... right. Yeah, that is exactly right. I mean, I found that very, very interesting in the complaint that, I mean, I don't have the exact language right, but the bottom line was, that they, they sent her, a, you know, a note saying, you know, we propose uh, willful penalties, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, we invite you to sign off and agree to this. That's uh, right. I, it's in the complaint of um, paragraphs 26 and 27. All right. But, I mean, basically, I'm summarizing it accurately, uh, uh, accurately although not in perhaps the exact language, right? 
Absolutely. That form stated this, open quotes, I consent to the immediate assessment and collection of the penalty amount specified above, and it listed, close quotes, it listed 400000 now, now that's, totally really, that's really amazing stuff, right? For another reason, and that is the way that the, the statute is laid out. I mean, if anybody can actually follow the damn thing, okay? But the, the way it's laid out is that reasonable cause can never be a defense to willfulness, correct? That's right. All right. So it would seem to me that it would be very... I think very unwise. I mean, let me put it this way. I, I don't think that somebody should just sign off on willfulness without understanding the consequences of that. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think that's exactly what happened here. I think it's what happened too. And I I find it very, very difficult to believe that this, this uh, woman, uh, you know, could possibly have known that she was just signing on for $100,000 uh, uh, you know, penalty for each of those two accounts, right? Um, but but having said that, am I correct in my understanding that uh, the penalty imposition is not mandatory? Is it possible? Uh, I mean, how how does that actually read? It doesn't say. I think that there's a, there's an automatic penalty of, of of either of the greater amount. Isn't isn't this all framed in terms of the IRS may impose a penalty? Or is that just for the non-willful? You know, John, I'm not sure. We would have to really look at the statute, but I don't believe it's mandatory. In other words, as I understand it, even in the Internal Revenue Manual, they do have that discretion. That yeah, I, can, I think that's right. Uh, you know, that, that's... They can reduce, they can forgive, they can send a warning letter, and... I honestly believe in this instance, the taxpayer, she's a dual national U.S. Chilean woman. I don't think she understood the gravity of what she's signing at all. I don't think I don't think it's possible that she could. I mean, I think I'm on safe ground. I don't have the statute in front of me, but I think I'm on safe ground in confirming absolutely that at least in the case of non-willful civil penalties, there is no minimum penalty. All right. In other words, it could be a warning letter, you know, et cetera. Well, clearly for non-willful, that's the case. Yeah. But because she has signed something agreeing to being willful, close quotes, you know, she's got that added problem because she right. has to now make the case that she didn't understand what she was doing. If, if that's even possible at this point. Now, now tying this into the a theme that I think we both agree is important from the Toth case. Um. In the Toth case, the you know after getting out of the First Circuit, right? Uh, basically, it was a finding of willfulness uh, without considering whether there was willfulness, right? In other words, it was a court-imposed sanction, right? Correct. In Toth, so so I'm going to use the phrase "fake willfulness." Okay, here, right? In other words, uh, no finding of willfulness, and I mean, I, I think I would agree that Miss Molyneux is within her. You know, I mean, I guess it's okay for her to agree to willfulness, right? Um, if she understood yeah. the gravity of it, yeah, yeah. let's call let's call it deemed willfulness, okay? Let's in, call it deemed. It's case, a little more neutral. Toth or Molyneux? Both of them, because okay. what I believe is going to happen. All right. Is deemed. now we have Toth saying you've got deemed willfulness and it's acceptable. 
Okay, deemed willfulness it is, all right? And this is a first from this podcast, this phrase, all right. So deemed willfulness. So we have the imprimatur on the Toth case that deemed willfulness is acceptable. And Molyneux could be, if I were the IRS, I would say, well, this is another case of deemed willfulness. She has signed saying she agrees that she's willful. So here we go. We don't have to look at her conduct. Well, I, th I think that's right. I mean, I think the IRS is probably on stronger ground in the Molyneux case. I mean, the Toth thing mm -hmm. I personally think is outrageous, but for many reasons, including that. But in any case. So, again, I want to emphasize that a lesson here is clearly that people need to understand the consequences of the civil willful the finding of willfulness in the civil context. Uh, they probably should not be signing off on any of this stuff without getting some kind of legal help. You would agree with that, I assume? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and now let's look at this in the broader context. Uh, I mean, I agree with you that, I mean, it seems to me that that one that the two things are going to, should be happening simultaneously from the Toth case. One of them is, I agree with you that, I don't know if I'd say the IRS is going to feel more emboldened, but I would say they're going to feel less encumbered. Uh, you know, wh whatever. Uh, but the other thing that, that comes from the case is Justice Gorsuch's uh, clear invitation, I think, to the lower courts uh, to consider whether this stuff is you know, violates the excessive fines provision. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I think he's hoping for that. Yeah, I think I think there's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, and so, you know, clearly anybody who uh, thinks about this stuff or, or, or works in this area should, uh, you know, uh, comply with the Justice Gorsuch's invitation, I think. You know, I think all, all as a matter of course should comply with the Justice Gorsuch invitation and, uh, you know, begin the long and painstaking uh, argument that this stuff does violate the excessive fines clause. I mean, like... I it, think you can't be in the First Circuit, though, John, to make that argument. Well, you know, maybe that's a good, the precedent not, in the first a good reason to not live in the First Circuit. Right. But, but they, no, clearly I... I think professionals have to take the bull by the horns and say, hey, we're going to fight it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they should fight it. They should fight it. I mean, this is, <laughs> I mean, I think we, you know, I think outrageous is too kind. I mean, I think we need to invent some new kind of word for, for what's going on here. Yeah, um, it's to me, like a, a money grab. That's exactly what it's looking to me like. Yeah, it's sort of like I see some money, so we might as well take it, and more, and more than we see. You know, adopting the Molyneux principle, and and more, and more. I mean, let's remember here with FBAR, we are not talking about the government losing tax dollars. We are talking about someone who didn't properly include an account, or it made some mistake on their FBAR, or who didn't file the FBAR, which is unfortunately what happened in. In Miss Pilar of Molyneux's case, she didn't file an FBAR. And the IRS is saying she was willful because she had um, filed FBARs in the past. All mm -hmm. right. And that is 
their grounds for saying, well, she should have known, she did know, whatever, whatever. And this is actually a willful violation. Well, it, it is truly amazing stuff when, you know, and, and, you know, you make an excellent point that, uh, you know, if this was signing authority over an account that was not hers, the government had no taxing rights to anything going on with that account anyway, right? Um, it seemed to me that the foreign accounts were owned by a U.S. entity. So maybe the U.S. entity had some tax liability if interest was earned on the accounts, but the size of the accounts was so small, I have a feeling maybe no interest was earned. I mean, here in the UAE, for example, you would you would not earn interest on a current account if this was indeed a current account, I don't know. Um, but there was no allegation of anything that the IRS had lost money, tax dollars or otherwise. Well, clearly, clearly she had no tax liability personally on that. Okay. You know, if it was Correct. an entity. So, uh, I mean, why don't we, why don't we presume that, you know, given that most people obey the laws that, that any income earned in that account was declared and was taxed. I think that's I mean, a pretty safe I think it's a reasonable. I think I think it's a reasonable presumption, uh, you know, in, mm -hmm. in a case like this. So I mean, all of this underscores this. This is just 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 plain confiscation for the sake of confiscation. There you go. Well, it's not looking good. Um, they do have a statutory basis for it, and that's what they're going to rely on. You see, they're going to say we have the right to take this as penalty, and they will take it as penalty. Oh, exactly, exactly. I mean, hey, you know, the, the law, the, it's it's the law. It's the law, right? Yes, exactly, John. Yeah. So uh, we need some constraints. We need some constraints on this ability of the IRS to just seize these kinds of assets and treat them as, you know, forfeitures. We need some constraints, and that's what the excessive fines clause in the Constitution seeks to do. All right. So this is a prime example of why we really do need that clause to apply to civil willful FBAR penalties. And it, it's not like it's without basis for saying that. We have an excellent amicus curiae brief mentioned um, by Justice Gorsuch, and in that brief, she sets out the historical precedent for this excessive fines clause and why it should apply. And her her arguments sounded very cogent to me. I will be, you know, going through them in my next blog post, so people can read up on on the Molyneux case and what what the excessive fines clause is all about. And let's hope that going forward, we will get some brave attorneys out there who will bring this up in the next court case and try and fight for it. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. And anyway, no attorney has to be brave anymore. I mean, you're just accepting, you're just doing what Justice Gorsuch is asking attorneys to do. <laughs> I mean, that's basically, but, you know, one final question here. You know, we think about this, you know, so a constitution is signed in part to put restraints on governments. Do you believe that Virginia, that hundreds of years ago, do you believe the founding fathers, when they created that clause, were saying, well, 
you know, that should apply only in the case of criminal sanctions. It's civil. The government can take anything they want. Do you think that's what they were doing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's no way. I mean, especially, you must remember, historically, we are we were breaking away from, from England. We had all that history of taxation without representation. And we were not talking criminal stuff there. We were talking, you know, taxes on teas and imports and so forth. So I think the successive fines clause, if you look at what what was in their mind, I think was these kinds of civil taxes, these kinds of not criminal issues, but hey, taking stuff that's far in excess of, you know, what is permissible from a point of view of fairness and equity. Well, I think that's right. And I bet you that if we were to put this this fact situation in front of the founding fathers and said, should there be should there be something in the Constitution to prohibit this kind of government behavior? I think they'd probably say absolutely yes. What do you think? I think there's a good chance that they would. Um, if you think about it, remember, this is signature authority. It's not any kind of ownership. Government is not losing tax dollars. Maximum value of both accounts is $29,000 in 2014, and yet she's being assessed a $200,000 penalty for that. And then we have in 2015, maximum aggregate of both accounts over which she has signature authority was only 65,000 and she's being hit with another $200,000 penalty. So you've got almost half a million dollars in penalties here. Most people would not believe this, or, or as a man on the street would say, who can make laws like this? Anyway, so you're going to be discussing this in your upcoming post this Thursday, which is great. And where would people read your great stuff and get on the mailing list for that post if they want? What are your coordinates? Sure. It's wwwus tax.org and people can just um, sign up to get the newsletter for free every week in their email inbox and uh, we're happy to send it over well this is great stuff and thank you for this great conversation Virginia this is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto and I'm speaking with Virginia Latora Jeker the great F-barologist of our age. And I mean that sincerely, sincerely. She does fantastic work in this area. So thanks very much, Virginia. I look forward to, you know, my God, as long as there's F-bar. How many years we've been doing Mr. F-bar podcast now? It's We've got a number of them out there. It's a long, long time, a long time. I mean, I've been practicing 40 years now. Mr. F-bar is everywhere. He is, he is. Anyway, been great around stuff. since I was 20 years old. <laughs> oh, thanks, Virginia. Look forward to it. All right, John. You have a good one over there. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.